Yeah, my profession is into sustainability, uh, which is, uh, of course, a very vague uh, term, but it's always about uh, sustainable business. When was your first time to come in Africa? Oh my gosh, Specifically yeah. in Kenya. Yeah, uh, I have very good memories of that. I'm, I think I'm very, one of the very few people in this world who got lucky by uh, the COVID pandemic. Hello, everyone. My name is Resin Hawirema. This is a Made in African show that brings you true and original stories of Africans in a growing movement, highlighting the craftsmanship, creativity, and entrepreneurial spirit of African designers, artisans, and businesses. Traffic is very different, yes. Well, in the Netherlands, the Netherlands is a small country, right? And now cities are small. So everything is basically on cycling distance. So most people use their bicycle whenever they have to commute within a city. So what is your preference transportation do you use in Omari, in here in Nairobi? If possible, I walk. Mm -hmm. Not easy because plastic is super cheap. Mm -hmm. If it were expensive, people would take care. But it's cheap. And you buy the water, but the plastic bottle itself is free. In today's episode, we are with Mr. Joseph Renaud, currently lives and works in Kenya. His professional is into sustainable business. His memory to Kenya started back in 2020 when the COVID-19 pandemic impacted his trip to go back to his home country in the Netherlands. Mr. Josh believes that his experience can contribute to the sustainable development that Africa deserves. To bring those big machines to help separate yeah. the waste. Why do you think that is still issuing here in Africa? Throwing away your waste uh, on the streets the cheapest option. It's a very complex question, so there's not just one solution. You buy a big machine and it's that's it. No, you need people to be willing to help. Remember, Made in African show brings you weekly episode produced by NCB The Base One TV. Ladies and gentlemen, today with uh, a very special guest, welcome to Made in African podcast with uh, our guest, Mr. Josh. Josh, you're welcome. Thank you so much. Happy so, to be here. Yes, thank you. So to start, who is Josh? That's a good question. My name is Josh Reinhardt. I am from the Netherlands. And the Netherlands, of course, is a beautiful country, but I really enjoy being here in Kenya. Uh, not only because of the weather, it's mm. cold in the Netherlands, but also because I like the people, I like the atmosphere. And especially in Nairobi, it's, it has a very good vibe. So that's why I'm here. Um, I work in the Netherlands, but I also do have some African projects here. I love doing them. So that's basically why I'm here. Okay. So to make uh, sure our listeners understand you, they know you deeper, beside you being you as what you have said, so what else should our listeners know about Josh? What should they know? Well, my age is 58. I know it's your birthday, you're only 42, but I'm, I'm Z, as they say here, right? Yeah. Um, I've got two children and a wife. They live in the Netherlands. Uh, my profession is always, has always been into sustainability, sustainable business. Um, I made a lot of new friends here in Kenya, and I like that. Yeah. yeah. So what else do you want to know? So yeah, when was your first time to come in Africa? Oh my gosh, Specifically yeah. in Kenya. Yeah, uh, I have very good memories of that. I'm, I think I'm very, one of the very few people in this world who got lucky by uh, the COVID pandemic because I arrived here in uh, 2022 in February to do uh, an assignment for like three months. But I had only been here like two weeks or three weeks. And then the COVID pandemic broke out. So basically all offices closed and I had to work from my apartment. I hated that a bit, but we managed to, to I managed to meet a lot of people anyway. After three months, I uh, was supposed to go back to Europe, to the Netherlands. But by then, there was no air traffic anymore. Not at all. So uh, I called my airline and uh, they said, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll go next week. Next week, of course, there was no plane at all. So I really got stuck in Nairobi. It was a very strange time because of the, the COVID pandemic, you know, the, the curfew, the lockdowns. Mm -hmm. um, but I can still visualize myself, maybe in May or so of that year, uh, sitting on my sofa in my little apartment and uh, no one, no one could tell me how long it would take before I would be able to, to get home and to see my family again. And um, so I made kind of a, a decision. If I do not know if I get back next week or next month or in five months or next year, it's better to become a Nairobian myself. 
mm-hmm. and try to really uh, adapt to to the food and the, and the culture in in Kenya and uh, you know become a Kenyan myself a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm still mm-hmm. uh, struggling with my Swahili, but um, it was a kind of a mental decision I made somewhere at 2020, and uh, well, that's kind of a learning experience I've never had before. Uh, I felt at home in Nairobi, okay. in a city so far away from my own country. Okay. So, uh, generally, what is your professional? Yeah, my profession is into sustainability, uh, which is, uh, of course, a very vague uh, term, but it's always about uh, sustainable business. Mm-hmm. In 2020, I came here to do a huge project on reforestation, mm-hmm. but in the end, it didn't work out. It was supposed to start with a huge conference, but of course, there was no conference because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So, we kind of immediately switched to the second option, which was a... Um, program about a research program about plastics mm-hmm. around that time the single-use plastic ban in Kenya became effective mm-hmm. so what we did was write a trend report about it what are the trends what are what's happening and what does it mean to you as a business mm-hmm. how can you deal with packaging problems for example if single-use plastics are not allowed anymore that mm-hmm. was my first project oh that's a very interesting actually to really come to the project after so far what is your experience in Kenya you mentioned you've been and you came here right before the COVID-19. You have been stuck during the lockdowns. So what do you experience now? Um, now or then? Currently now. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. Uh, COVID pandemic uh, is not here anymore, so we've move around freely uh, but I when I see uh, Kenyans when I see uh, Nairobi the main difference with the, the Netherlands is people are very uh, young for example mm-hmm. uh, the average age in, in Kenya is 20 and in uh, the Netherlands it's like 42 or so mm-hmm. so whenever you walk on the street you see young people mm-hmm. many 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 young people uh, you mean in Kenya in Kenya okay. yes, very mm-hmm. young people mm-hmm. because of all those young people on the street the vibe is very young mm-hmm. also noted that very uh, many Kenyans are very entrepreneurial always have a side hustle even if they have a job they will uh, some sort of side hustle uh, trading stuff or uh, growing uh, food or uh, mm-hmm. breeding chickens or whatever mm-hmm. so, and I really like that that's what that's what I see when I walk the street back to the COVID-19 pandemic yeah you are a foreigner you came to Kenya and however I will be back to the experience of you what your favorite food the transportation yeah. how you experience living in Kenya so but before we back to this question during the COVID-19 it was a tough time everyone was uh, scared but for you how did you get simukadu like communication it take us the first day of the lockdown yeah. and that week the first three days what happened the first few days were of course um, terrifying in a way because no one knew what would happen i was watching television every day uh, online dutch television and the situation in, in job was really very bad so all hospitals were crowded and, mm-hmm. uh, there was no vaccine yet so people were panicking almost especially in Italy but also in the Netherlands uh, so I was watching that on my TV in my apartment in Nairobi or in Kenya in general there were not that many casualties I've never heard about uh, hospitals in Kenya being crowded uh, because of the COVID pandemic so I, I felt safe mm-hmm. I felt safe but I was worried about my family mm-hmm. my mother mm-hmm. and of course she's uh, 80 years old now so I, I felt safe in Nairobi but, and I felt sorry for my uh, friends and family in the Netherlands mm-hmm. uh, first it came gradually right so the first it's a pandemic and then you look at TV and it's in Italy or in Spain mm-hmm. and then it, it reaches the Netherlands and Germany and it took a few days maybe weeks I don't, I don't exactly remember but mm-hmm. I still felt safe in Nairobi and then um, there was this uh, so how are you getting the food in your apartment oh yeah well uh, I'm not a great cook I must admit but so I went out on the street and just across the street from my apartment there was this little uh, shop mm-hmm. uh, you know selling pesa uh, stuff uh, fruit and a lady who sold uh, fish Mm-hmm. Uh, so I used to go there, just eat with them. Uh, ah, so you were to eat that restaurant, yeah, okay. okay. And also, some of the restaurants were still open, uh, but they closed early. They closed I, maybe at seven or eight o'clock or so. I remember there was this specific one in South B. It was in South B. Mm-hmm. Very, very small but nice restaurant. I went there often, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes I was almost alone mm-hmm. because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I went there often. They had good food, reasonably priced, and um, I even remember. Uh, 
uh, I was somewhere else in the city, uh, somewhere at a market, I believe, uh, in the north of uh, Nairobi. Mm-hmm. And then this owner, he called me, are you still coming for dinner tonight mm-hmm. or not? Because if not, we will close down now. Ah, so I, okay. my uh, relationship with that uh, restaurant was really uh, good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, there's still fruit for sale. Do you still go there the currently to that restaurant? No, I'm not uh, in South B anymore. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it. okay. So yeah, that is uh, you in a, in a pandemic and the pandemic is done. Here we are today. You are telling us the experience of you. You mentioned you have a good relationship with the Kenyans. Let's see, uh, go through the your day. How is your day look like when you are in Nairobi? Yeah, um, well, currently I do have like three or four or five projects going on simultaneously. So my schedule is very tight. I uh, wake up in the morning, I have my breakfast, sometimes I uh, cook myself, sometimes I just take a pancake at the Java house or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I work, be working from home behind my laptop um, on one of those projects. Uh, mm-hmm. There are also many um, you know, online meetings, phone calls going on. That is maybe half of my day uh, will be like that. Mm-hmm. But I also try to uh, go out. What's the use of being in Nairobi if you get stuck in your own apartment all day? Mm-hmm. So I also try to go out and meet people in their offices. Mm-hmm. So uh, yesterday I went to Takataka uh, Animali, which is an NGO. Mm-hmm. They focus on uh, recycling and uh, circular economy. And we went to that specific place in their offices so uh, to meet and to have a, a conversation about our project. Mm-hmm. But I really like going there. I could have called. I could have been in an online meeting. Mm-hmm. But I tried to, uh, to visit their offices, you know, to feel the atmosphere, to, mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. have a better experience. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, some people, when you go in a country and you are friend, there is uh, behaviors you can't tolerate. So which behaviors you can't tolerate yeah. in Nairobi that you even you, you look at it to feel like yeah. this I don't like this in Nairobi. Yeah, well I've been warned many times by Nar- about Nairobi. They say uh, you know Nairobi is also called Nairobi. It's super dangerous and uh, you will get knocked and robbed every day. So many many uh, European people are very scared of Nairobi. Uh, they they're afraid to walk on the street. Um, but mm-hmm. I must say I've never had any bad experiences at all. Mm-hmm. Except this little one thing that's really dangerous, it's the traffic. Mm-hmm. Traffic is disastrous in, in Nairobi, there's almost no room uh, uh, to walk. I'm used to uh, s- separate cycling lanes in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. I even used to have a bike in the, when I lived in Sansby. But cycling in Nairobi is it's, yeah, it's life-threatening. Uh, so if anything uh, could change, it would be uh, the way the traffic behaves. Yeah. People ignore red lights. Uh, if you're uh, on foot, you just being ignored by Matatu drivers. Uh, so, yeah, Nairobi is a dangerous place, not because of the people, but because of traffic. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of uh, transportation, uh, you mentioned the traffic in Nairobi. Before, it used to be known as traffic city in East Africa, but later they have uh, this expressway from the airport to, to Nairobi town, which they believe it's decreased some traffic. So, you mentioned the traffic. Is it traffic bad here in uh, Kenya? than your home traffic is very different yes well in the netherlands the netherlands is a small country right and now cities are small so everything is basically on cycling distance so most people use their bicycle whenever they have to commute within a city um, so that's really different than nairobi no one cycles here almost no one and uh, cars are everywhere so that's that's a dangerous part and um, of course there's a very uh, well-organized Matatu system, so you can get almost everywhere by Matatu, cheap. I take Uber a lot, and also uh, the Boda drivers, because they're a little bit more agile in, the, in traffic. Uh-huh. If you're in a hurry, uh-huh. it's easier to be in a motorbike. Um, yeah, but it's completely different than, uh, than Europe, mm-hmm. because in Europe everything would be regulated. Uh, people uh, stop at a red, uh, red light, even in the middle of the night, and there's no one mm-hmm. can stop. So what's there will your be more room for cyclists and more room for uh, bicycles. Oh, ah, yeah. okay. So what is your preference transportation you use normally in here in Nairobi? If possible, I walk. Sometimes that's not an option, of course, because of the distances. But I like to walk mm-hmm. because you see more. I enjoy uh, looking around me and then seeing those uh, fruit stalls and uh, the people. Uh, a lot is going on in Nairobi. It's mm-hmm. a densely populated city. So mm-hmm. uh, if, if possible, I walk. If I need to go somewhere uh, quickly and not far away, 
I'll take a Boda. Uh, I take Uber a lot because it takes me uh, everywhere. Uh, and when I go to, for example, Gong Hills, mm -hmm. I like to hike there. I just take a Matatu to go motorbike to the entrance of the National Park. Okay. I do not drive myself. Mm -hmm. um, also, the traffic is left here. Yeah, as a driver, I'm used to uh, on the right side of the road. Ah, uh, okay, uh, I so see. So it's, uh, yeah, especially roundabouts are challenging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, around the road here, the motor pass here, motor pass left, yeah. right? So, yeah. So, um, good. Mm -hmm. So, let's back to your professional, uh, especially sustainability. You you mentioned Nairobi is... Uh, this is a question I've been asking so many people. Do you think Nairobi is a sustainable city? Um, not yet. No, it's not sustainable. Not, uh, But there are no sustainable cities in the world. So, that's nothing special. They're working hard on it. But there are some key issues that need to be addressed urgently. Mm -hmm. uh, traffic might be one of them because there's so many cars, but not only the amount of cars, but also the old and uh, the exhaust is black. So the quality of the air is really uh, not healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, so you cannot call that a sustainable solution to for traffic or for, for commuting. Um, another thing that really needs improvement is waste management. Uh, and very few places uh, and very few apartment blocks are, that are really good uh, waste bins where you can separate your plastics from your paper from your glass from uh, uh, food um, and that would be um, a big step ahead I think the, the waste management system would be uh, in place mm -hmm. on the other hand um, Kenya is doing relatively well on uh, on energy uh, the amount the percentage of renewable energy in Kenya mm -hmm. is way higher than it is in the Netherlands. I think the Netherlands could learn a lot from that uh, experience. Mm -hmm. yeah. But uh, there are so many, um, so many companies and organizations and NGOs and even Israelis working on becoming more sustainable every day as a consumer or in their businesses. Mm -hmm. So I have good hopes that uh, in a few years from now uh, the city will be cleaner because sustainability is also about health. Having a good place to live and uh, being able to afford basic stuff like uh, healthcare and schools. Uh, that's also part of a sustainability um, uh, program, right? Mm -hmm. So I have good hopes that, uh, that Nairobi and other cities in the world will keep improving themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's the part of the city. You're talking about the sustainability of the city. You mentioned um, transportation, you mentioned the green, you mentioned the in a bit out of uh, what about the construction the way the city yeah. is is growing um do you see yeah. sustainability in uh, the way the city is shaped and yeah. is growing nairobi is one of the cities in the world that's growing uh, one of the fastest growing cities in the world right so people need a place to live so you i do understand what is what's going on in the city but on the other hand for example, expressway they cut uh, they cut down all the trees uh, along uh, Mombasa Road, which is really um, disappointing. You know, the, it doesn't look beautiful. Uh, a tree looks looks beautiful, and an expressway is nice to have. But uh, where are the trees? And so, and if there are no trees, where are the birds and where are the insects? The natural environment has not become any better uh, because of the expressway. People need a place to live, but I I hope that uh, urban planning the urban planning people uh, will also keep some spaces to be green and uh, there should be parks. Uh, we're here in a beautiful green environment and this feels good to people. People get happy when they, uh, they are in a natural environment. So I, I really hope that even in, in Kilimani or in, uh, in uh, Umoja, there, there will still be a room for trees and plants and green. Mm -hmm. uh, just to keep it lively, to keep the oxygen uh, flowing in the urban mm -hmm. areas. Mm -hmm. That is a, in the terms of on the city. So have yeah. you been outside of Nairobi, of course, to see agriculture, people to see the outside? What is your point of yeah. view in the terms of agriculture and sustainability yeah. in agriculture as well? Yeah. The second year I came to Kenya in 2021, uh, my assignment was to research uh, sustainable agriculture. And uh, so I had the opportunity to uh, visit some uh, farms. Um, well, agriculture is super important for the uh, Kenyan economy, right? So um, I've met so many people, even in Nairobi, who have their own uh, plot somewhere up country and grow their own food. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The small scale uh, food production, it's, I think, is a, a good and very sustainable way of living. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, um, people eat a lot of meat. <laughs> mm -hmm. which is not considered to be very sustainable uh, <laughs> you know beef uh, so you are saying in, in the Kenya generally people they eat a lot of meat yeah well maybe I should not say this because uh, uh, in the Netherlands the production of beef is so different 
Mm. But you are right. I, I live in Kenya too. I, I mean, Kenya is known by the Nyama trauma. The, yeah. the meat is yes, yes, is yeah. among the first yeah. eaten food in Kenya. Yeah. Talking to the agriculture in the rural area. Yeah. So you were saying your first year, the second year, you said. Uh, the second year I was here in 2021. Yes, yes. you I said you went in a village. In a and I was impressed by the innovation. Uh, I've seen black soldier flies farms, huge uh, farms where they grow flies, black soldier flies, and um, they are a really cheap and efficient sh source of uh, protein. Uh, they don't look tasty, uh, but uh, it's good protein, and they, uh, they, they use the protein to, to feed fish or to feed uh, other cattle. Mm -hmm. You could also uh, eat it, uh, you could also use it for human consumption, mm -hmm. like crickets, uh, another way to produce um, uh, good protein. Mm -hmm. um, but also the, the, the small-scale farming is so it's, it's beautiful because it's uh, and the climate here allows it too because in the Netherlands and uh, Europe we have a, a very different climate we have two seasons it's cold in now in winter time and it's warm in uh, warm mm -hmm. it's not mm -hmm. as warm as it is here but it's warmer in summertime in July and August so you have one harvest a year but uh, this climate here in East Africa it allows you to grow beans continuously and and bananas and so on they I've seen sh shambas uh, small farms but they everything. They have beans, they have maize, they, they've got mm -hmm. fruits, uh, everything. And it's, it's a beautiful way to produce your food. Mm -hmm. So you are uh, saying sustainability in terms of agriculture in Kenya, it is not there, but it is... It, 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 yeah, it's okay it's, it's it there, is. but my, uh, I'm afraid that it will head into the direction that we did in the past few decades, past centuries in the Netherlands, which is super, super large scale industrial produced food. So if you want to, you cannot even go to a pig farm in the Netherlands because of all those restrictions and, and uh, animal health and safety. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it it's not a farm anymore. It's not, you're not a farmer. You, you have a, a like an industry of pigs, thousands and thousands of them. There's nothing mm -hmm. um, that reminds you of a, of an animal life, a good life for animals. It's just oh. production facility. So I'm afraid that because of uh, international markets and, and money and, and huge investments from Europe or from maybe from China or wherever, mm -hmm. uh, kind of African food production will also head into that uh, industrialized way of producing. And that would be not a good idea, not for uh, animal welfare, mm -hmm. but also mm -hmm. not for sustainability because you need to uh, bring food from all over the world. Mm -hmm. uh, it uses a lot of water. Uh, so let's hope that Kenya will be able to maintain this, uh, if you call it, old-fashioned way of producing food in small mm -hmm. farms of mm -hmm. mixed crops uh, with a lot of biodiversity. Uh, mm -hmm. if, the, if the bananas fail one year, maybe you've got more beans. You know, so the, this mixed agriculture, mm -hmm. uh, that would be a great way to, uh, to be, produce food. Mm -hmm. But I do realize that not everyone in, uh, in Nairobi has the opportunity to grow their own food. So there will always be trading. Mm -hmm. But the way food is produced is key to uh, sustainability in general. Uh, the loss of biodiversity, for example, is thirty percent is thirty percent of the loss of bio uh, biodiversity loss is related to food production. So mm -hmm. all those species that are not there anymore, mm -hmm. a great part of them uh, got uh, extinct because of the food we produce in a in a not sustainable way. So mm -hmm. let's not go that way. Let's be mm -hmm. on preserving it. Okay. So last year I was in a Youth Connect. There are so many young people, younger entrepreneurs, including farmers, and some of them they are bringing in their innovations, yeah. and of course also bringing some more challenges. Some of them, you ask them, they are trying to bring agriculture. They believe to make agriculture more sustainable yeah. to connect to the technology. So how do you? Yeah. think that kind of work in Africa. Yeah, I think that uh, maybe it's, it's, at first sight it may seem like opposite things, right? Uh, traditional agriculture versus new technology. But it could be really helpful because mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, satellite data, you know uh, where droughts are, you know what to do. Mm -hmm. Maybe even per one square meter where uh, diseases are. So satellite data or drones uh, that you can use to really pinpoint uh, diseases or, uh, or opportunities. Or you see where the water is, is too much or too little. Too little. So uh, I know there are some uh, entrepreneurs in Kenya uh, providing uh, real-time online data uh, plots of land. Mm -hmm. food, how the food is produced and also about market developments because you, you can maybe as a farmer you cannot eat all your own food so you have to sell mm -hmm. but if you have no information about market developments you will not get uh, the amount of money uh, your trader will mm -hmm. so it's good 
to be online as a farmer and uh, know what to do technically and also know what to do commercially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, the, the connection between high tech and food production is really there. Mm-hmm. Back to your professionalism still, uh, you mentioned you have um, several projects you're working on in Kenya. Yeah. Um, talking to sustainability, I, some of your projects bring solutions to sustainability in Kenya. Well, uh, well, I'm not uh, the one bring new uh, technology from the Netherlands to Kenya, but I can help uh, Kenyan companies. Uh, my, one of my clients is a very uh, small uh, engineering company. They have like five employees. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, what they do, their, their niche is uh, compressed air, compressors, mm-hmm. which is a very technical uh, thing. Uh, I don't know a lot about compressed air. They do. Um, but what, what they're able to do is uh, go to a factory and uh, recalibrate uh, all those machines, those compressed air uh, tubes and uh, compressors, and they, they know how to do it well. And mm-hmm. it might save up to 30% of electricity. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, very good for, uh, for electricity use. It goes down, and when electricity use goes down, uh, the emissions of carbon dioxide go down. And high tech, in a very small niche in this industrial world, uh, it's a sustainable solution. And I, what I can do is help them to uh, improve their um, business by uh, focusing on specific investments investments or maybe they had a, they had a kind, of, kind of idea to become a carbon credit trader as well but I did not recommend that it's not their niche they don't know exactly how to do it so it would go cost a lot of time and investment to really get into that market mm-hmm. and they're not really good at it they're good at uh, compost air mm-hmm. so we have this discussions with the management find other ways to, to grow Mm-hmm. Innovate. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a, a very small and very sustainable engineering company. Yeah. Before I think we, we 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 move ahead, I believe there is a message you can send to younger farmers, and uh, I, I know even some of them that is sending it to us because many younger farmers, uh, like for example, I met uh, this one who was having a fish project and those trying to find the solution how to monitor their fish. All right. And talking how they're trying to also to make sure the water are clean. Yeah. How environment is impacting their fishing because water goes to their dams, not clean. That can impact the production. So what message can you share to Kenyan farmers and African farmers in general in terms of... No, just a message to farmers. But what you say is right. If you you pollute your environment because there's no uh, good way to dispose of your waste, it will end up in the environment. And the environment may seem to some people like something that's out of their lives or, but its pollution is still there so the plastics end up in the water and in on the on the land in the soil if it's in the soil and in the water it will eventually end up in the food and if it ends up in the food it will end up in you so uh, i think the farmers have a, have a key role here yeah, to uh, they should advocate for uh, better waste systems to prevent their soils their farms from being polluted by other people by plastic by uh, chemicals by whatever and it's their soil they uh, they need to be uh, i know one of my friends is a farmer they love their soil they know every square centimeter of their farm mm-hmm. and uh, they should protect it and uh, be uh, be clear about i do not want your plastic pollution or your chemical pollution on my land, put it somewhere else, mm-hmm. so that, that it can be fixed. Uh, I hope the, the Kenyan farmers will uh, be real advocates for sustainability, for, for waste management as well. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the plastic, plastic, yeah. plastic. So plastic actually in the, not only in Kenya, uh, where I came from in Rwanda, plastic is not a road. Yeah. Uh, we had uh, days and days to pick plastic all over yes. the country, like even the government brought um, like a, like a, an order every Saturday, the last Saturday of the month, every season we go and pick the trash all over. So yeah. back to here in Kenya, where you you are, you mentioned you yeah. believe soon you may become a Kenyan by nationality, <laughs> who knows? So, so. <laughs> yes, um, do you still believe that Kenya, uh, Nairobi itself as a growing city, they can have an alternative to avoid plastic? Yes, of course, it's, it is possible. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's it is possible. And it must be done. You cannot just keep throwing away plastic in in, uh, in the river and in, in nature and uh, expect it to not lead to big problems. It will lead. It has already led to problems. You even uh, can see it yourself when, when uh, we have uh, this, this uh, heavy rain showers like we had last week. 
you see all the gutters full of plastics and uh, sewers get mm -hmm. clogged mm -hmm. uh, it's not very hygienic mm -hmm. so that must be done and uh, uh, one of my other projects is uh, focused on um, separating waste at the source so you take out the plastic and uh, the plastic if the plastic is still if it's clean and it's uh, plastic only not contaminated with other types of, uh, of waste you can reuse it you can recycle it and it's worth something mm -hmm. uh, companies in, in Nagawa who are willing to pay for clean uh, plastic mm -hmm. so the, it is it is viable to have a, a system in which plastic is not randomly disposed of uh, somewhere thrown out of your car but it's it has value and it can be reused it is possible mm -hmm. it's not easy because plastic is super cheap mm -hmm. if it were expensive people would take care but it's cheap you, you buy a bottle of uh, water uh, you buy the water but the, the plastic bottle itself is free and so you just throw it away if you had to pay for the bottle maybe a deposit you would return it and uh, it would still have its value uh, as a bottle or as, as a as renewable uh, plastic source of plastics it's, it's doable okay that's very interesting that's a very interesting input about uh, what you have uh, i hope listeners they are very that's very interesting to think the possibility of plastic but yeah. let's go inside of huge supermarket here in Kenya let's go inside the Carrefour Carrefour has a lot of yes yeah I hope recent as we can say in other supermarkets we should yeah just it's an example Nivas, yeah sell lots of plastic yeah so yeah. if you go inside for one of those big supermarkets is you check their fridge do you think it's possible in terms of packaging that plastics can leave the market in Kenya if you look at the packaging, yeah. the cheese, the meat, almost everything is packed in plastics. Yes, you're right. Well, it, it is uh, it is possible, and um, it basically there uh, in all countries in the world, many countries in the world, and even so in Kenya, it's, uh, they have a, a new law. It's called EPR, Extended Producer Responsibility. It's an EPR scheme. So the producers of plastics or the producers that use plastic to pack their products, like Coca-Cola, they use huge amounts of plastic. The extended producer, producer responsibility means that Coca-Cola will stay responsible for their own products, including the plastic packaging, until the end of the supply chain. So even when you as a consumer buy your bottle, there is still some responsibility for Coca-Cola to this plastic problem. Mm -hmm. It's uh, new. It's, uh, I think it's like two or three years ago that the, uh, the EPR systems were implemented. And of course, they're not really, no, not all companies really uh, want to take their own responsibility in solving their own waste problem. Mm -hmm. It's easier to uh, just pay a bit and uh, mm -hmm. that someone mm -hmm. else solve the problem. Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, if, suppose it would be mandatory to uh, have a 100 uh, Kenyan shilling uh, deposit for every PAT bottle, mm -hmm. I'm sure it would be recycled mm -hmm. because it's worth something. And other types of plastics. Well, we have a system in the Netherlands. Every household has a set, several bins, one for paper, one for electronic waste, one for uh, food waste, and one for plastics and packaging material. Mm -hmm. So the, the packaging material is separated at the source, which, which makes it way easier mm -hmm. to be recycled. Mm -hmm. And it's also a cultural thing, right? You don't... As a, as a consumer in the Netherlands, you, you just don't throw your stuff out of your window into on the street. You just don't. Mm -hmm. So uh, people are very uh, are willing to cooperate in this recycling system. Mm -hmm. So what's in so it? It's doable. Mm -hmm. Good examples in the world, mm -hmm. not just in the Netherlands, but it is doable to uh, get rid of 90% of the plastics. Yes. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the area about the energy. Look, the energy in Kenya. The, yeah. yeah. How do you see sustainability in the energy here in Kenya? Yeah. And the, according to your experience, do you see any improvement since the, you, you reach here for the first time? Yeah. Well, four years is a very short time to see real improvement. But um, uh, Kenya is already doing very well when it comes to uh, electricity. Uh, the, the major part of all electricity in Kenya is renewable, because solar and uh, water, water uh, energy. Uh, they're ahead of the Netherlands by far. Uh, so when it comes to electricity, I feel confident that. Uh, uh, that will become 100% renewable within, let's say, one decade or so. Uh, because solar energy has become so cheap and there's so much sunlight in Kenya, it would be stupid to invest in anything else than solar. Wind would be an alternative. But solar is everywhere, even in remote areas of the country. You can have your own solar panel and have electricity. But electricity is only a small part of energy use, right? So uh, the bigger part would be uh, oil and gas for cars, for example, for, uh, for the industry. That's a lot harder to... Uh, uh, to get to, away from 
yeah, to, to get away from uh, fossil fuels. Uh, even in Europe, where uh, money is hardly ever a problem for investments, it's uh, the, the the infrastructure, the the market is so developed. Everything has been developed in the last 100 years around fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to change that. It will take a lot of time, mm-hmm. but it must be done. We must get rid of those uh, fossil fuels if we are to uh, prevent further global warming. So mm-hmm. Maybe. Uh, Cars, buses, you know, public transport could be uh, electrified in mm-hmm. a few years. Mm-hmm. But I still, uh, I don't know, maybe five million cars or so in, uh, in Nairobi fueled mm-hmm. by uh, petrol. So mm-hmm. what do you do with them? You can't just switch overnight, uh, you know, make it mandatory to, to have an electric car. Just no one could afford it and not another thing. So what you need, need to have is a transition that takes maybe 10 or 15. 15 or 20 years and step by step uh, change uh, fossil eco- economy in, uh, towards a renewable one. Mm-hmm. It will take time. Some things uh, will be easy because you can just buy an electric car. It's expensive but mm-hmm. it's not. It's technically not very difficult. If you have money you can buy an electric car. Simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you have a huge uh, production facility producing, I don't know what. Sorry uh, to interrupt you. There was um, this uh, talking across Africa that our engineer mechanics, they know they have been trained to repair these cars with um, the car and with petrol, they are not familiar to, to electricity. Why do you talk about that? Yeah, it's, it could be threatening. Uh, if you have been in the petrol business for all your life, uh, you don't want to hear stories like I'm telling now. You <laughs> want to be in petrol because it's your job and you believe it's the best thing for the world. Um, and even if you don't believe it, you're still stuck there because it's your job, it's your business. You make money out of it. Change, change is always difficult. And uh, there's some real stress for individual people who are uh, mechanical engineers and, and they know everything about uh, a petrol engine but they don't know what to do with an electric engine so this it could threaten your job uh, and you not forget about that so there should always be an escape uh, those people should be helped to uh, find a new uh, job or maybe they need some extra training or whatever so you cannot just leave it to them and hope uh, everyone will be happy uh, automatically that's not the case it, it's a struggle it's a fight and there are also uh, companies you know the big oil and gas companies in the world they're fighting back they want to protect our markets they want to sell plastics because plastics is also made out of fossil fuels and it's, it's lucrative those people are super rich they're super wealthy they're powerful they can buy anything they can even buy politicians mm-hmm. so uh, it's a struggle and it will take time but we need to do it mm-hmm. yeah that's very interesting uh, because you know what Africa is struggling for now it is sustainability every city every country every summit yes. the sustainability the world sustainable it is the what people want they are not on top and uh, they also think you should bring to school let younger yeah. people try to train about sustainability so what do you think uh, I don't know if you have information but the way Africans like let's say here in Kenya how yeah. people have been trained in sustainability you, you talk about recycling do you still think people understand sustainability generally in Africa let's say here in Kenya when you see people how, do you think people they understand the yes, sustainability do. or do you think government or like uh, NGOs working in sustainability they really send a message to beneficiaries yeah Africans do understand sustainability very well and especially when it comes to climate change uh, Africa is one of the continents that it's hit hardest by climate change even in Kenya some parts are so hot and so dry now uh, cultures change by it even this year uh, we have had rains in uh, January and uh, many people have told me well when my grandfather and when my father was young it started to rain on 20th of February not before that there's never rain in January in Kenya it's it's not supposed to be like that the climate is changing and will affect agriculture so it will affect food uh, it will affect uh, a lot of uh, people individually so yes it's not uh, very complicated to have a good conversation about sustainability and climate change with Kenyan people they do understand yeah and um, you, you ask about young people Kenya is a young country uh, most people are very well educated and very uh, entrepreneurial so I have good hopes one of my uh, smaller projects now is it's called Bin It Right Bin It Right mm-hmm. uh, we teach we try to teach uh, uh, children at primary schools to separate uh, plastics at the source so what we do is we put a huge mm-hmm. plastic bin on the schoolyard with a sign on it bin it right this bin is for plastics only there's an educational program around it mm-hmm. so children understand that they can take plastics from the street or they can take plastics from uh, from home mm-hmm. bring it to the school put it in this special bin and when it's full uh, a waste picker will bring it to a recycling company the recycling company will pay for the plastics the money goes to uh, 
school use the money to green the school yard. Mm-hmm. Another interesting question that we see ask it's about the sustainability as well uh, because uh, the listeners, uh, Mr. Josh, is um, I, I'm not going to say an expert, but you have experience in sustainability. That's why uh, sustainability it's a very interesting and uh, every listener. I hope now you understand when you after finishing your water bottle. Don't throw it away. Try to recycle as uh, Mr. Joe's trying to... for a plastic bin. Yes. To recycle it. Yeah. So, yeah. Why do you think in Africa, like especially in the cities like here in Kenya, they still struggle with waste management? And in other words, why there are no investors to bring those big machines to help separate yeah. the waste? Why do you think that is still issuing here in Africa? Throwing away your waste uh, on the streets the cheapest option. So the big problem is always how to make money out of recycling, how to make money out of waste separation. And uh, it's a very complex question. So there's not just one solution. You buy a big machine and it's solid, that's it. No, you need people to uh, to be willing to help because uh, if the machine is there, but people still throw their empty bottles in the bushes in the river, it will not solve any problem at all. So there needs to be a mechanism. It's cultural even, it's financial and technological as well. But it's a, it's a huge system where you have to push like 100 buttons at the same time and we'll slowly we'll get there. Mm-hmm. But uh, we will not get there if not everyone wants to take their own responsibility. Mm-hmm. So even supermarkets, even Coca-Cola, but also you yourself as a consumer, mm-hmm. you, know, you can blame Coca-Cola, you can blame Naivas, but in the end, you're the one throwing your bottle. Mm-hmm. There's uh, something mm-hmm. in it for everyone. Yeah, that's very interesting. So heading to our end of the podcast, I was very inspired, and I hope you, dear listeners, you're also inspired by Mr. Josh, who is uh, from Netherlands, currently living in Kenya, has been having a good time in Kenya. We are talking with him about uh, his experience and uh, his business for him being in Kenya. That's a very interesting experience. So what's your favorite food here in Kenya? Yeah, just before I came here, I, uh, I had a chapati and, and beans and uh, sukumawiki. I really enjoy it. It's yeah. simple food. I know everyone eats it, but I like it. It's, uh, it's good. Uh, but the best food I've ever had, maybe in my life, is uh, I went with my friend. She lives in the UK, but she's come from uh, Kitabi from the west mm-hmm. we went to visit her grandmother who lives uh, not in Kitala but in some remote area like I don't know 50 kilometers away from there mm-hmm. Uh, in a very uh, small compound mm-hmm. and of course the grandmother is very old so she saw her granddaughter she hugged her and said ah, it's good to see you again mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. are you again uh, because mm-hmm. she's almost blind she didn't really recognize and she, she saw me you know a white man um, Zungu uh, but she was so welcome so welcoming and so friendly and after hugging and shaking mm-hmm. hands mm-hmm. She, uh, she said well uh, let me make some food for you uh, so she took some bananas started uh, to fry the bananas, she, she took a uh, chicken out of her uh, garden and mm-hmm. slaughtered it on the spot. And a few hours later, we were eating uh, what, how do you call it, kindyeji mm-hmm. chicken, and uh, it was amazing. It was so good. It's the it's the food, but it's also the love that was in the food. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. Okay, so you are saying your favorite food for the listeners who don't know the, what chapati is. Can you try to explain oh, yeah. what is chapati to the listeners who yeah. don't know the chapati? Yeah, they know beans, but they don't know chapati. Yeah, chapati is, is like a, a pancake, right? It's a, a bit smaller than a Dutch pancake. It's like well, what is the size, maybe? Yeah, the size 15, of rounding. This is like fifteen or twenty centimeters in diameter. Diameter. Uh, I think they're made of maize. Um, I read. I think there's separate different yeah. parts of uh, different systems uh, to make chapati brown and white. Yeah. Uh, they're usually uh, quite heavy. Mm-hmm. Really, uh, if you eat one, you already feel uh, yeah. that you really have eaten something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Made of, out of exactly. wheat, flour, or yeah. uh, maize, like we mentioned. Maize. I think it's maize, and um, they're usually warm. Mm-hmm. And I like them uh, best when they're still warm. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you can buy them anywhere on the street, right? And you can see uh, how the ladies uh, are making them. But, uh, <laughs> Enjoying yeah, them when it's, it's hot. <laughs> it's nice. <yeah. laughs> so, um, and ugali, I tried ugali, but uh, the first time I had ugali, my gosh, I can't imagine people eating ugali. It's so heavy. It's like <laughs> eating stones. <laughs> I, I, could, I could only swallow a little bit of it, and I was full to the brim immediately. But uh, later on, I got used to it. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I've heard that Kichaga also eats ugali mm-hmm. for breakfast and for lunch, and mm-hmm. he's a very good athlete. So mm-hmm. uh, that's why that more often. Uh-huh. That brings me to ask the question: uh, the differences in terms of food. You think Kenyan food is heavy food than 
The Nederlandse food? Yeah, I think in general it's, it's heavier. The ugali is heavy in your stomach. The chapati is also heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, there's so much fruit, and fruit is light. I like fruits, you know, bananas, mangoes, uh, pineapple, whatever. And there's a lot of uh, fruit for sale as well on the streets. Mm-hmm. And you cannot say that's heavy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, no. it's, it's a bit different than Dutch food, but uh, it's always tasty. Mm-hmm. It's a bit more spicy than uh, the European food in general. So there's, what is the similarities you find in terms of intercultural exchange from Netherlands and Kenyans? Yeah. Um, the similarities between Kenya and the Netherlands, well, the, the true similarity that there is, it's, uh, it's we're all people, you know, um, people from the Netherlands, they have white skin and they dress differently, they have different food, they live in different houses, and, and Kenyans, uh, they, are, they, are, they all look different, and you know, but in the end, when you talk to them, they're all just people, ordinary, nice, friendly, friendly people, and that's similarity I, I really, really enjoy. So far away from home, but still nice people. Mm-hmm. So, what about the uniqueness? What is unique in the Netherlands yeah. for Netherlands people, and uniqueness in the Kenyan that you find this make us different? Um, oh, that's a difficult question. The uniqueness. Um, well, one thing that I really enjoy uh, watching is the the, the 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 hair of Kenyan lake. My gosh, it is so beautiful. It's sometimes. <laughs> It's so big, I'm almost bald, but uh, Kenyan ladies, they stand out for their hair. I love it. I wish that we had that in the Netherlands, but we don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's very unique about Kenya. Uh, something I would like to see in the Netherlands too. Something very specific about the Netherlands. Well, uh, the Netherlands is a cold country, right? At this moment in time, in January, it will be around zero or maybe five degrees outside. So mm-hmm. It's cold. Uh, so people are not uh, going out a lot. They stay in their houses, which means that the inside of a house in the Netherlands is always very, um, very well suited to, to stay there, to have a good stay. So mm. it's, it's cozy. Mm. Uh, it's friendly. People love to stay at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Kenyan apartments are usually a lot smaller and uh, you can eat and uh, mm-hmm. sleep, but it's not the place to go. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's the, there's even a Dutch word they say it's not uh, translatable. Mm-hmm. Gezellig. It's called mm-hmm. gezellig. It means something like cozy, homely. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's typically mm-hmm. typical for, for, for our Dutch culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone said, why do many people from Elo, they are much more loved to live in Kenya, especially in Nairobi, than in other cities. Mm. Why do you think? I haven't then started by the way, it's just a question. Yeah. People, they, yeah. Uh, I think it is true. Yeah, many people love to live in Kenya, at least part of, part of the year, like me. Um, I had this discussion with a friend, a Kenyan friend, and she said, well, people love Africa not because there are lions and giraffes and, and zebras here. Those are unique too. But when you go back to Europe, you will not say to your friends, I'm so happy because I saw a lion. No, you will tell them, I felt so happy in Nairobi because people were so friendly. So I think the, 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 the open and friendly culture of, of Kenya is really attractive to the Netherlands. On the other way, uh, the other way around, I have also met very many Kenyans who are looking for a job, for employment, and they want to go to Europe because of economic reasons. And I can understand that too. Because, uh, life, is, uh, life is expensive and the salaries are not that high in Kenya. And in Europe, uh, you get paid more for the same job so i can really understand that uh, many kenyans would want to live in the netherlands and many dutch people want to live in kenya so it's a, it's a one yeah okay it's so, an exchange program. so it's an exchange <laughs> <laughs> now we change the program because, of, it, yeah, because, of, because uh, the european uh, economy is super strong there's so much money around mm-hmm. and there's so many jobs and you get paid relatively well not mm. that there's no poverty in europe there mm. is, but it's not like in Kenya where many people struggle to survive. They, they have this hand-to-mouth uh, job. They, they wake up broke, they work, they eat, and when they go to bed, they broke again and mm. they start all, all over again. Yeah. So that's not the case. In the it's a white and the black, good so and bad. And it brings a lot of insecurities yeah. and, and stress. Uh, and so I really hope the economic development in, in Kenya will uh, speed up, that it will be uh, fair. So that not only very few people get very rich and the rest of uh, Kenyans will remain very poor. That's not the way to go. This economy will be sustainable. Renewable energy do not make the same mistakes as, uh, as you were made and end up with a fossil uh, economy that's almost impossible to change. But mm-hmm. you must do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So listen, as when they say black and white, uh, based on what uh, Josh say, uh, Africans sometimes you get up in the morning, you have a 10,000, that is a white day for you. It's a very good day. Then after two days, the money is done, you are broke that is brack day uh, is nairobi expensive to 
to you? Well, I've seen prices come up in only a few years. So when I came here in uh, 2020, uh, life would be a lot cheaper than it is now. That's true. That's I'm talking in terms of other cities like you have been. Is Nairobi, because people, some people, they will tell you, yeah. Nairobi is expensive. So yeah. is Nairobi expensive to you? Is Nairobi expensive? It's a good question. Um, well, if you want to spend money in Nairobi, it's easy. Uh, there are very posh restaurants and, uh, you know, you can spend a lot of money on basic stuff. Uh, so in, if you live like that, it's very, uh, very expensive. I know prices, even supermarkets have gone up a lot. But uh, when, just before I came here, I uh, had to eat something and I had uh, chapati and beans I paid. I had a good meal for 100 bob. That's not expensive, I think. Uh, it's, it's good food for, uh, for a little money. Um, compared to the Netherlands, uh, Nairobi is uh, you know, cheap, except for uh, like a beer. It's the same price in, uh, in the Netherlands as it is in, uh, in, in Kenya. Mm -hmm. uh, is it cheap? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because the prices have gone up, but uh, the, the exchange rate, euro to shilling, also changed a lot. Mm -hmm. So my euro is worth a lot more shillings than it was last year, two years ago. Mm -hmm. So uh, for me, it's easier than for Kenyans who get paid in shillings. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So to conclude, thank you very much, uh, Josh for your time. Always we ask our guests to send a message to people, particularly people who were in the same career as you. I wish to ask you to send a message to people, Africans in general, but people who work in a sustainable uh, institution, people who have a mission to make Africa more sustainable. Yeah. So what's the message can you send to Africans in general about sustainability yeah. and sustainable? My message would be uh, never give up. It will be a tough fight to uh, become more sustainable as an economy, as a country, as the continent, but it needs to be done. So uh, keep up the good work. Don't stop. Don't let uh, anyone or anything stop you and uh, just push it. Push it. I'll be there to help you if you need me. But I know Africa uh, is a strong continent. Kenya and Nairobi are strong people. They will be able to do it. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, I'm sure some listeners there now have a question. Where can we find uh, Josh related to your business? So do you have uh, social media? People can find yes. your website. Um, the easiest way would be via LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. My name is Jos Reinhardt. That's uh, a difficult name to pronounce for Kenyans. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you can... Uh, have it on your website and spell my name. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, so the easiest way is to contact me is via LinkedIn. And uh, my business name in Kenya is Akili Green. Akili? Akili Green. Akili Green. Yeah, it's a literal translation of my Dutch, Dutch business name. Okay. Akili Green. Josh, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate Thank you for being in a Made African show. And uh, feel so like the home Africa is your home now. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. It was a, a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it. And uh, I wish your listeners and you all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening our episode. See you next time with your host, Celestina Widema.